0: This is a disclaimer and warning that in this episode I will be discussing domestic abuse. Welcome to Season 2 of Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a confidence life coach, comedian, and mother of two. I invite you to join me bi weekly for confidence tips and interesting chats with my guests who work in fields that help develop confidence and sometimes with people who have a personal story to share of how they were able to break free from fears that held them back from living their life with confidence and purpose. My guest today is Julie Randall, a businesswoman who juggled a successful career in sales, finance, and management alongside bringing up three children. But during her 30-year career, she also experienced financial hardship, divorce, bullying in the workplace, burnout bereavement and is a domestic abuse survivor her past experiences led to a change in career and she now works as a female leadership and empowerment coach and mentor hi julie hi rania thanks for coming on breaking free today to share your valuable experience and hopefully motivate other women in similar situations to gain the confidence they need to change their lives as well
1: If we can change one, then we'll have done a good job as far as I'm concerned. Definitely.
0: Yeah. So, Julie, you know how it feels to be at rock bottom, um, broken and uncertain and anxious, unable to trust yourself to make decisions. How did you go from there to where you are now? And if you could share the effects of being in toxic relationships with us.
1: Well, it's a long story, so I'll, I'll try to condense it as much as possible. Um, I think it's fair to say that being in a toxic relationship generally isn't something you notice straight away. Well, it certainly wasn't for me, and for many of the mm. women that I speak to, uh, that seems to be the case for them as well. Um, it would be fair to say um, that in the beginning of toxic relationships, and certainly for for me, and I just like to say I've had more than one, although the one I'm going to talk about most is one that I was in for the longest time and was the worst. But it's fair to say that generally, um, they started with a really lovely relationship. You know, lots of nice things being treated, going out, being told you're special, uh, how wonderful you are, etc., etc. Which is, as I'm sure you'll agree, a very nice thing to hear. Mm. Then things start to happen. Um, And in my personal experience, it wasn't things that necessarily started to happen to me in the first instance. They were things that my perpetrators started to do to other people, which although I was slightly, I was uncomfortable about them, I didn't necessarily think were that bad because in some ways the person had done something which had, if you like, um, required a response. And although I may not have been particularly comfortable with the response, it sound, it seemed like it was OK. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, yes.
1: Then gradually things started to change. So it, I suppose there were red flags um, and lots of people will talk about having red flags, but I think it's fair to say I ignored them. Um, And the reason for that is because they get mixed up in all this other stuff. If someone treats you badly from day one, you would generally think, I don't like this person and I'm not going to stay around because that makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah. If someone is treating you badly on a day to day basis, there's not really any, not any thought goes into that. You pretty much go, OK, this is this is rubbish and I'm not going to stay around. That's really simple. But in a toxic relationship, it doesn't work like that. It is mixed up into lots of other things. And, and a lot of those other things can be really nice things and often are. Hmm. So what you end up is this roller coaster one day or should I say for more days? out say for instance if we were to take a week five of those days are good and two of those days are not so good so when you look at that overall you think oh okay there were you know there's good and there's bad
0: yes I imagine it's a kind of grooming and manipulation into making you feel like well they're a very nice person and they treat you nicely so it must be your fault if you on the other few days that they're not nice, that that has happened. And then you start slowly doubting yourself.
1: Absolutely. And I was going to get mm. to that because, yeah, in the beginning, certainly I, when I was treated badly or, or spoken to in, in, a, in, in, a, in a way that's not acceptable or told I was, you know, a bad person or any of those types of things, in the beginning, I would argue back. That's fair to say.
0: Mm-hmm. No, I'm
1: not. How dare you, et cetera, et cetera. And I attempted many times in that, those early stages to end the relationship by say, well, if you think that of me, then obviously we shouldn't be in a relationship and bye-bye. Um, but, Uh, my perpetrator kept coming back and kept telling me, no, that isn't what he meant and I've got it wrong. And and then you start to go into that whole manipulation saga, which is uh, very insidious. It's a bit like Ivy. Um, It becomes much more regular. Starts slowly, but becomes much more regular. And you start to get to the point where actually, as you said, you start to blame yourself. Because this is a really nice person, right? And if he's doing things that aren't nice, then there must be a reason for that. And because you're told that reason is you and you've done some terrible things and you shouldn't have done those things. And because of that, you made him feel like X, Y, and Z. Then you start to believe it because why would someone who's nice be horrible to you? So you've got to start justifying it. Um, I I was married when I was um, 19 to someone I'd been going out with for three years. And when uh, we got married, I found out within the first week that he was actually seeing somebody else. Now, as what sort of you can imagine is quite crushing. However, um, up until that point, this person had never ever, and I'd been with this person three years, they'd never shown me any violent behaviour, never done anything like that at all. When I started to question what was going on, it did result in me being hit. And um, that happened to me uh, about three times. And on the third occasion, I left and I never went back. Because uh, as weird as it may sound, um, yes, he did hit me. But apart from those particular incidents, there was no other manipulation. There was nothing else. And although I didn't stay around, I knew that when I was hit, A, it was wrong, B, I didn't like it. And therefore, I didn't stay. It was very cut and dried. Does that make sense?
0: Yes. So he sort of didn't have intentions right from the beginning no. of grooming and knowing where he wanted to take this. He not was triggered by being confronted and mm. didn't like that and became aggressive and had an aggressive side. Absolutely. Yeah, that's clear. Mm.
1: Absolutely. Not that that makes it right, but that was no, very, you know, a very yes. different.
0: But it makes see. it clear to you. You're not. You're not second guessing yourself. Yes. like in a different
1: kind of toxic relationship yeah absolutely now on um, the the one I talk about that was eight years of hell that was systematic constant manipulation and when I look back that that started to happen from day one although I didn't realize it from day one um, we worked together we actually set up a business together and um, I did most of anything to do with setting up the business uh, in, on one hand I was applauded yeah. for that and on the other hand it was a stick that was used to beat me with and that's in a physical uh, mental sorry uh, in a metaphorical way of speaking not in a physical way of speaking yeah uh, everything I did was wrong everything I said was wrong every person I spoke to was wrong I was uh, trying to entice men um, I dressed provocatively uh, you name it I did it. If I could have done something, if you could have picked anything I could have done wrong, I think I did it in a day. So my head was swimming because one on one hand, you're being told, oh, you're great. That's brilliant. You know, thank you for doing that. And in the next minute, you're being berated for it. That begins to send you into what I can only describe as sort of like a maelstrom. I, I used to say it was like being wrestled by a crocodile or an alligator. You get in that crocodile in that sort of role that you hear them talk mm-hmm. about and you just used to th- I used to feel like I was thrashing thrashing around to grasp onto some sort of semblance of normality to if you like hold on mm. because i I was like, wow, I, I just don't get this. I don't get it at all. And then it got much deeper than that. Started to want to know about ex-relationships and things about ex-relationships that are private, said and done. I've never spoken um, about what I've got up to in a sexual way with an ex-partner, with a new partner, because that's, in my opinion, that's not what you do. Um, But there was a lot of wanting to know where I'd been, what I'd done, who I'd spoke to, And when you in a new relationship, I think you do share, you know, I used to do X or I used to go here Mm. and those sorts of things, because that's all part of getting to know someone, isn't it? But what I found was the more information I gave as the relationship went on, that information was used against me. And I started then to be very careful in what I did share Mm. because I knew I'd started to work out. There was a pattern. And that potentially something that was laughed about and joked about in one stage would probably come back to haunt me. It may be weeks or it may be months later where that, where that conversation would be completely misconstrued. And I would be told I had done some terrible things and I'd be like, well, what? I don't, I don't understand what you're talking about. Um, so I was in that relationship, um, Physically abused twice, um, but it's gonna sound really wrong to say this. It was a mild abuse, if that makes sense. It wasn't something, you know, it it wasn't something there weren't marks left, there weren't anything like Mm. that. And most of the relationship was, and I hear myself justifying it now. Does that make does that sound wrong? I'm justifying it. Why am I justifying it? We're talking about something that was eight years away potentially brought me to my knees and it's not acceptable but even now there's a justification for for the behavior and it's crazy absolutely crazy and wrong
0: even though it's quite clear when i mean the story goes on and listeners will understand more that i would say this is a psychopathic person you know it's not normal kind of just anger and manipulation uh, of what's coming next in the
1: story. No, this person I would have said is also um, narcissistic, pretended that he had a life-limiting illness, also pretended that he was part of a, um, I'll use the word terrorist organisation, and my life was filled with fear. Um, I didn't know how to respond. I didn't know what to do. I was fearful for my own life. I was fearful of those people around me. I um, wanted to protect them. And the way you do that, you isolate yourself from those people because in my head, if I don't see them, if I don't have contact with them, then nothing can happen to them. They can't be incriminated in any any way. Um, And I say all of these things, but of course one has to remember But this is part of a much bigger picture because half of the story is not like that. Half of the story is very loving. It's very thoughtful. It's all of those things, but it's this whole yin yang. And so what you end up is you don't know, as I said, you don't know who you are. You don't know where you are. You don't know if it's you, if it's them. And ultimately, Um, For me, I I wanted to get out, but I didn't know how to get out because I was too scared. Because every time I tried to do something that could be construed as getting out, i.e. I'm not going to work in this business with you anymore. I don't want to do that. We need to go our separate ways. Then um, the behaviours used to get worse. And in the end, I would not do the things I said I was going to do because they got to such a pitch that they were unbearable. And then it would all quiet down again, and then it would all go back to normal, if there is such a thing as normal in those relationships. Yeah.
0: It's the confusion. It sounds like between, you know, yeah, it... one thing and another, isn't it? I mean, growing up in a in a family, even children with unpredictable parents, parents who could be very caring at one moment, but quite abusive or insulting or or blaming in another leaves the child growing up not really trusting themselves and not knowing if they're the ones that are at fault or if it was their parents it's, it takes a long time of sort of unfolding to understand that that's the effect of the person on you and, and it sounds like it's the same thing even as an adult going into it as an adult
1: I, definitely and I think as an adult I mean as a, as a child it's scary and all of those things, and I wouldn't wish it on any child. I wouldn't wish it on anyone full stop. But as an adult, there's also that, uh, for me, I kept questioning. I, I was like, but I, I'm supposed to be an intelligent woman here. Why am I accepting this behaviour? And if that behaviour had been the same 24-7, I'd go, yeah, absolutely. I'm not putting up with this anymore. I'm out of here. I'm not saying I would have been able to do that really easily, but that would have been, if you like, in my head, quite simple. The fact was all these lies, all these lies, this manipulation. Um, I used to be, that's the best way to describe it, because it sounds really weird. Remember the old Nokia telephones where they used to have a ringtone that used to go like that when a message used to come through? Yes. In an episode uh, where My perpetrator was alleging that he was in hospital having treatment and I would be at work running the business. I could have a 48-hour period where I used to receive approximately 30 to 40 texts an hour. And that ringtone, that tone. And so what that's resulted in as time went on was that I have my phone on silent. And I rarely have my phone, even now, all this time, and ringtones have changed and all of that. I rarely ever have my messages, where you can hear them coming through, because it just takes me back to that place. And I don't want to be in that place anymore.
0: It's a trigger trauma. How did you get yourself out of that? How, how did you stop questioning yourself and have the ability to see clearly what was happening was it people around you who could see it that alerted you or was was there something that became really obvious in his behavior how did you manage to change things around when so many women can't and are stuck there
1: Um, it wasn't a quick thing it took me about two and a half years um I started to notice a pattern yeah, I suppose for me, um, I've always had what I've known to be as some sort of survivor instinct. That's that's something inside me that says I won't be beaten. And although I did feel like I was being beaten, and although during the periods we were together, I did attempt to take my own life three times, I something made me carry on. And I think it, I started to notice a pattern. Now, I didn't create situations to test it, but I did test it. And the way I did that is that when something happened and we got into one of these 48 hours, 72 hour scenarios that that happened, which were absolutely vile, um, I started to stay the course. And what I used to do was I used to fight it, if that makes sense. I used to say, I'm going to get off the phone now. I'm not going to answer. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. And then it used to prolong it. And what I found was that if I didn't do that, if I answered the questions, if I kept going and kept going, eventually it would peter out. And the outcome, which I was told would happen, of course, never happened. I was always told there would be a terrible, terrible outcome. And of course, these outcomes never happened. Um, and in the beginning, of course, I didn't know that they wouldn't happen. So I used to be absolutely freaked out by them. But as time went on and I began to test it, part of me began to realize that actually these awful outcomes aren't going to happen. Therefore, you've got the strength to stay the course and deal with the situation you're in. And what I found was they started to burn out sooner. Mm -hmm. Now, once that happened, I think I realized I had some I was beginning to gain some control back because I never shared what I'd found. I kept it inside. But for me, it made me feel stronger and that I could actually deal with this situation. Mm.
0: Did you journal things? Did you note things down?
1: So- oh, I didn't know about journaling then. <laughs> I didn't know about those sorts of things then, I, I on reflection. I wish I did know about it because of course, wow, what interesting reading that would have made now apart from anything else. And also, yes, it would have helped me greatly, but no, I didn't didn't know about journaling then. I did, certainly didn't write anything down. And also you didn't commit anything to paper because you never knew when it was going to get found. That was the other thing. Yes. So um, you'd always be careful with what you wrote and what you said. And if you left a message or anything like that. So once I began to realise that, I could, in some ways, have an effect on the outcome of these incidents. I then began to question the reality of it all. And I was like, "Okay, so this awful thing isn't going to hasn't happened. It's unlikely to happen. So, therefore, how much of this is true?" I will say that even to this day, I'm convinced that some of it was true. However, probably very minimal probably very minimal so I started to the only way it's very hard to put into words really um I just realized I think one day that this isn't what I wanted for the rest of my life but at that point I didn't know how to get out of it but I believed that at some point I could I'd have to pick my moment although at that point I didn't know what that moment was
0: yeah, I find it's crazy and, and sad in a way that for some reason as women, it's not enough that we're miserable or, you know, you wanted to take your own life three times to say, well, I'm not happy and this isn't what I want. It's like if you don't have actual evidence that he is in the wrong and it's not you, you sort of don't want to offend um or misjudge the other person is more important than your own happiness. Absolutely. And I feel we can get ourselves into such trouble as women just because we don't want to
1: displease. Well, of course, um, as little girls, we're taught that's what we do, aren't we? Mm. We're, we please people. Uh, I, I think also, particularly um, in the relationship, because everything was questioned so much and I was, Made to feel that pretty much everything I did was rubbish. And anything that I'd ever done in the past had some type of, I don't know, sexual connotation or craziness attached to it. Mm. That to go and share with somebody else that, you know, X, Y, and Z is happening to you, this voice in your head is saying, yeah, but you did this, you did this, so you made them do that. So that's that going on as well. Mm. And even though you know in your heart of hearts, actually that's not true, you're still not sure because you question yourself so much, or I certainly did anyway. Yeah. And again, justifying. I can remember making justifications for behaviors. Well, if I hadn't have done that, or if I hadn't have said this, or if I hadn't have looked that way, or I hadn't spoken, then that wouldn't have happened. That's a crazy way of thinking, but it's a
0: conditioned way of thinking. So you started to notice patterns. You started to test these patterns. Mm -hmm. You started to question, you know, is this real or perhaps I could be being lied to here. And that gave you strength and and confidence to take action. What, What did you do next?
1: I didn't take action straight away, definitely. I think I had to acclimatise myself to the fact, Okay, this is what I'm dealing with now. And it took me a while to understand that. Once I did, I didn't necessarily do anything differently to the outside world. I just continued as I did because I didn't want people to know. I was shamed and also I was fearful that if they knew something, you know, they may say something and then that could cause issues, which would then obviously incriminate them, which I didn't want. I began to plot, I suppose that's the only way I can describe it, plot an escape route, although I didn't quite know what that was at the time. But I started to think about not working together, not being in a relationship with him, what that could look like, what that could feel like, and what I, what I would be doing and how I would be feeling. And I think that began to give me more confidence. So I grew more confident the, the bad scenarios the real horrific long long ones if you like they got shorter and they got less and more manageable for me and hence my confidence grew. and then something happened like they do in these things don't they something happened that made what forced my hand really one of those long sessions started and uh i've managed i think we got to about day four or five so i was beginning to tire somewhat because it's very um tiring when you've got someone who's constantly messaging you and expecting you to message back and those listening will say well don't message back and yeah in theory you don't message back but if you don't message back then people start to get threatened you get threatened your children get threatened i'm going to go and do x y and z so you feel compelled to answer
0: and is that him testing your dedication or your love to him? Is it his insecurity that makes him do that every so often? Do you yeah think?
1: i think it's it's a control thing as well uh, it It mm-hmm. came from usually those situations came from me doing something he didn't like, so that was my punishment. if that makes sense mm. so almost like well, I'll punish you because you've done something that i don't like i'm gonna i'm gonna meet out of punishment, and that's what it was. And we were on day five. He wanted me to go to a place to take his things to meet somebody else. And I refused. And he kept on and on. And in the end, what he started to do was to threaten a friend. And at that point, just something came over me. And I was just like, you know what? This stops. And it stops now. And I picked up the phone and I rang the police.
0: Hmm.
1: And I told them that I'd been abused and then it went from there. So that was the beginning of the end, if you like.
0: So have you not had answers now about what was truth and what wasn't? Because you said you still believe some of it.
1: Oh, um, I've had some answers, but lots no. I believe, as I said, I believe a very small part of it now most of what he said was complete and utter fabrication. And one thing I've learned, and I do speak to my clients about, we always look to seek to get the answers. But one thing I've learned is that you may never get the answers. And actually, it's better to move on than to keep spending your time focusing on those answers, Than even if you've got them, probably wouldn't change much anyway.
0: How do you move on, Julie? How did you move on? How do you help other women move on, and and find trust in relationships and men again?
1: Um. Well, that took a long time. I spent the best part of three years pretty much on my own. Um, I socialised with my family. I continued to try to run a business. It was completely decimated uh, within the whole uh, fallout of that. I. I read a lot, Um, I realized that I didn't trust myself. That was the big thing, I didn't trust myself. I was I. I I didn't trust myself to do anything. I don't trust myself to say anything because is it wrong? And that took me a long time to work through. So much so that, as I said, I avoided others unless it was family or a necessity to meet people. I did get some counseling, uh, which helped. I think the biggest thing was, and it sounds crazy to say this, I didn't realise I'd been experiencing domestic abuse. Because I used to think, I used to say, well, he doesn't hit me. So, you know, it's not domestic abuse. And when I realised it was domestic abuse, it was coercive control, it was manipulation, oh, my God, I felt like I'd been run over by a steam train. Because I was just like, How? do you not how did you not know that mm. so that was a big real big shock uh, I then started to do things socially and began to learn that I could do things and it was okay and I didn't need permission I think I did it in stages I then went for another set of counselling because I felt I got so far but needed to move forward some more and I felt I couldn't do that without some more input I'd built such a wall around myself I was so fearful of me and everybody else that the the brick wall was needed but gradually I I learned that I could take the bricks down and if need be I could also put the bricks back up if I needed to Um, so there was an element of control there that I didn't didn't, hadn't had for a long time so I started to to take those bricks down it was just nice to, to be me start to realize who I was again and actually I did have a personality and I was fun and I was kind and I wasn't this awful person mm. that I believed that I had become yes and then um I had a little voice I was referred to it as my gremlin and my gremlin used to say you ought to go and do something to help women like you and I used to look at it I can remember turning my head and don't be ridiculous! What could I possibly do to help other women like me? So then I went uh, and found something on, um, basically, searched the internet and found something uh, from Women's Aid called an Ask Me Community Ambassador. I thought, oh, what's that then? And I read up about that and uh, went on their two-day course. And the Ask Me Ambassador role is is a is a great one, uh, where basically um, you are taught to hold space for people who have had or experienced domestic abuse. Uh, And that was the first real step of, I suppose, empowerment for me, where I thought, actually, yes, this is something I could do. Mm. The more that we talk about this subject, the more people hear different people's stories, because every person's story is different, but there are some similarities, perhaps, that if people haven't acknowledged that maybe that is something that is happening to them, that maybe they will hear something in someone else telling their story that makes them stop and think and think, ah, okay, maybe this is something that's happening to me. Yes,
0: like you said, yeah, you hadn't realised that it was actually domestic abuse. So somebody hearing your story might relate and resonate and think, oh, my God, I've never thought of it as that, but it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that sent me off on a journey of discovery um, where I trained to be a coach and in that training I learned so much more about myself um and I wish I'd had that training 30 years ago because it absolutely transformed my life yes. I'm now in a relationship we don't live together but I've been in a relationship with a lovely guy for three years so yeah so I, I trained and I uh to become a coach because I wanted to help other women like me and um, through that journey, I, learnt, as I said, learned so much about myself and have uh, made changes and know about things like journaling now, which I did not know before. And um, have now lived a much happier, much fulfilled, much more fulfilled life with and have much better relationships with with all around That's me, wonderful. all around me. It's been a gift. But the biggest but the biggest gift is helping others.
0: Sometimes the hardships we go through are for a reason, it feels like sometimes
1: when, you know, we end up helping yeah, others. Ab- absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I recently was called to do jury service. Um, and for those of you who don't know, uh, in this country, uh, when a uh, criminal offence has been um, carried out, uh, sometimes you have to appear in front of a judge and the judge will have what they call 12 jurors who are independent witnesses And they listen to all of the evidence and they then are the people who decide whether that person is guilty or not guilty.
0: Yes. So as a British citizen, you could be called upon any time, couldn't you?
1: Absolutely. Um, So I was called um, and I went along, uh, as I said, just a couple of weeks ago. uh, We were informed that the case was an assault case. Actually, it wasn't. It was assault, but actually it was much deeper than that. It was a domestic abuse case. And nobody asked me or anybody else in the room whether that would be something that would, you know, uh, be difficult for them. Now, fortunately for me, I now do the work I do. And for me, I was able to deal with that accordingly. And, you know, um, it was fine, but I just can't get it out of my head that that could have been somebody else who would, you know, that could have triggered them immensely. And that is something that I am going to be talking Mm. to. I'm going to be feeding back to the, um, to her majesty's court services that given such a situation that they ought to give the jurors more information prior to them accepting the particular case that they've been put onto. Um, Now there is I think there is sort of like a backdoor thing where you could raise your hand and say, I'm not comfortable with this. But at the amount of work that has to go in to actually get those 12 jurors in the room and to actually kick the case off. I do think it's going to take someone of great means to um, decide to raise their hand and say, oh, actually, sorry, I'm not comfortable with this. And if you're somebody who has been triggered by that, I would suggest you're not in a place and strong enough to be able to do that anyway anyway.
0: Yes, or to make the right judgment, or to you know not let emotions get in the way or be biased about something. I mean, from both ways, they need to check the background of who's going to be
1: on the jury. Yeah, it's interesting you should say that because one of the things I said to friends before I, uh, you know, when I knew I'd been called, one of the things I said to friends is, well, the one thing I won't get, I won't get a domestic abuse case. And they said, why is that? I said, well, any judge would probably assume that I would make a biased decision. I would be biased Mm. in that decision-making. I was never asked. And Mm. I find that quite astounding, actually. It could have been any type of other things that could have cropped up that, of course, could have made someone as a juror uncomfortable. So I think some more information at the beginning would be useful.
0: Thank you for mentioning it, Julie. And thank you again for sharing your story. And I hope that if there are any women listening to this that have been suffering in any way that's similar, um, that gives them the courage to reach out and tell someone, ask someone for help um, or speak to you directly.
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you, Rania. And what is the best way to reach out to you, Julie?
1: Yeah, um, my email address is julie at enlivened.co.uk you can find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. And my company name is Enlivened. So you'll be able to find me in any of those ways.
0: Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniakurdi.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.